They called us monsters, so monsters we became. We are Monsters Out of the Closet. I'm Nicole. And I'm Shreya. Halloween is a time of transition. The turning over of seasons is echoed by a thinning of the veil between our world and the realm of spirits. Just as people are reminded of their vulnerability and mortality, the dead get their chance to walk among the living once more. For this year's Halloween special, we bring you a collection of ghastly, melancholy, and unexpected encounters. There is something inherently unsettling about returning to a place that was once home. Familiar rooms have shifted and resettled into strange landscapes in your absence. Even the people have picked up new habits and phrases, taken on new identities. Returning contributor Ross Crean probes the edges of this wistful experience in Coming Home, part of their album Summerland, A Ghost Story. rustling of clothing, the low shudder of an aging house. All of these signs warn us that something is waiting for us in the dark. But what exactly lurks beyond the safety of our beds? Horror Lullaby, written by Tyler Thatcher and read by Penn Tynan, gives us an answer whether we like it or not. Rest your head, my child. Close your heavy lids and let me tell you why we sleep with a nightlight. A lone howl far beyond the confines of your little house echoes through the forest which looms on the edge of your yard. Each trunk and gnarled bush between the singing beast and you meets its cry. The moon is empty, leaving your window yawning open beside the very place where you lay your head, illuminated only by the night's star-freckled abyss. There is snow on the ground, 
glittering silver. Be still. Prior night took your power in a selfish act of wind and frozen rain. Still, you somehow crave the smell of the ice outside, and despite a chill creeping up your spine, you nestle into the covers and refuse to close the port between you and the night. Close your eyes, and darkness now looms. It presses in from all angles, pushing down the soft down covers of your blankets into your skin until it is no longer comforting. It smothers you. Something in the trees watches, its limbs gangly and limp, grazing the snow where its ankles sink in. It walks with a hunch, but you cannot see it. Your eyes closed, face turned away from the winter chill. You feel it. Wait. A sound inside of your home startles you, but don't jump. Your muscles slowly tense, and you feel as though opening your eyes would seal your unspoken fate. Steal yourself. Find the courage bubbling in your stomach and spit it up, only to drink down that bitter taste once more and stand up to fate. Open your eyes to a dark room. Nothing has moved. Close your eyes once again. Feel the terror ebbing back into your throat like the slowly rising tide. It tastes of aspirin swallowed slowly. It is a film on your tongue. Behind your eyelid, look at her. A denizen of the valley for two real animatronics and dolls with two human eyes. Her face is an inverted teardrop. Sparse hair, as black as coal, sits atop her rounded skull in wisps. Her eyes are bulbous, eyelids pushed back and blackened by fire. She has removed them with her spindly fingers and a lighter. Her nose is inhuman, mere slits pushed flat against her face. Her eyes large pupiled horrors, her mouth a lipless slit, carved from one cheekbone to another. Yet no weapon did this. Whatever beast sits in the shadows of your mind, she has been created by some horrific god. Stop. Don't scream. Do not raise your voice. Listen to her claws clicking against the wooden floor of your bedroom. And now, though all nature tells you otherwise, open your eyes, child. Let the terror and paranoia grip your body like a vice. They will not let go, the greedy bastards. Look. Over the edge of your bed, she lurks, inches from your face. She smells of rotting leaves and burned hair. Her tongue lolls out of her mouth, dripping with black tar. The smile she flashes is one she cannot remove and she shares with you the image of her teeth, rows and rows of little razors reflecting your own bulbous eyes and drawn back lips. But if you light a candle, my child, you will be safe. I cannot stand being truly seen.
Our next piece returns to Summerland and the eeriness of strange rituals in a cavernous house. The Three Disciples ponders the mysterious aura that surrounds practitioners of the occult and the foreboding of strange things yet to come.
Even the most innocuous objects can seem sinister and threatening when they disrupt comfortable routines and expectations. The Bag, written by returning contributor Lucian Clark and read by Lucille Valentine, explores the anxiety of waiting for a break in tension. Please be advised that this piece features elements of gore. Day 2 Something appeared across from our apartment yesterday. Just a red trash bag, nothing really all that special about it. However, the bag lingers in the back of my mind, constantly being brought up by even the vaguest reminders to be considered and mulled over. I think it may be the color, something like dried blood. A deep crimson that I didn't know they made trash bags in. Maybe someone had it from Christmas, despite Christmas being several months past and even further into the future. Who knows? The bag is bizarre, either way. Day 3 It's still there, just sitting in the field. Trash day was yesterday, and I figured they would grab it, but they didn't even look at it. In fact, it seemed like they were actively avoiding it. I watched them as they took my trash and my neighbor's trash, but not that strange, strange bag. Just sitting there, not looking normal, the shape of it hinting at the contents, but unable to place my finger on exactly what. I considered it a part of my imagination that there was something abnormal about this trash bag. I assumed that had to be where the source of my obsession was. There was something wrong with that bag. The last three days, I've watched it. Conveniently, it sits directly across from my living room window. Through rain, shine, and even the dark of night, I've kept tabs on it. Watched people walk by it, ride their bikes by it, some middle schoolers even played in the same field as it. Everyone ignored it as if they couldn't see it. I watched three kids play catch, somehow never colliding with it or even getting close, no matter how many times the ball threatened to do so. It's not like it was buried in the field either. The grass was barely above the ankle and still brown from the winter. Spring has not yet arrived despite it being the beginning of April. The red bag stuck out like a sore thumb, sorry to use that tired analogy. For everyone but me, it seemed to exude a dark aura that repelled people. Why? This journal was originally to keep track of my dreams, but the only thing on my mind now is the bag. I even dream about it, walking up to it with a growing dread the closer I get. I hope they take it away soon. Day 5 A body. It's shaped like a human body. Day 6 I spent the day looking at seasonal trash bags. None of them are the right colors. They do make red trash bags, but they are vibrant and bright. They glow with holiday cheer. 
the bag in the field doesn't do any of this. It seems to fester and wait, lurking in the dead grass. Day 8. The bag is still out there. The longer it's here, the less in control I feel. There has to be a connection. Rachel is getting worried about me staring out the window all day. I, I, I can't help it. I need to know if it's still there, if it moved, or if anyone else has noticed it. I don't think Rachel has noticed it, and if she has, she hasn't seemed to recognize it as the point of my obsession. I can't sleep. I've been hearing and seeing things. Every shadow is another nightmare, every faint noise is an intruder. The lights and shadows make faces on the walls, faces with missing eyes and mouths, gaping black holes in their place. They scream at me without sound, some type of warning trying to crawl past the gaping blackness. I beg Rachel to come to bed with me, and she does so quite begrudgingly. It doesn't help. Even with her there, something is telling me to run. Hushed whispers around the room, voices too soft to make out the words. My skin crawls just thinking about it. Two in the morning and I'm perched on the couch, staring out the window as I write this. Even in the dark, the light from the street lamps seems to bounce off, almost falling off the bag. There is an oily quality to the way the light reflects. Trash day is in two days. Somehow, it seems to have moved closer to the sidewalk, so maybe they will take it this time. I just know it needs to go. For Rachel's sake. For my sake. Day 10. They didn't take it. I even asked them to, and they ignored me. Or maybe they didn't hear me. I yelled through my living room window, begging for them to take that godforsaken bag. Stepping through my door fills me with fear. I don't even remember the last time I left the house. The very idea of trying to go near it makes my skin crawl and my stomach leap into my throat. I'm gagging as I write this. I can't even consider touching whatever is in that bag. Someone has to please take it away. Day 12. I woke up screaming. Rachel spent an hour trying to calm me down. I had a nightmare that the bag moved into our yard and started talking to me. It slid across the ground, leaving some sort of disgusting dark liquid in its wake. The sounds, those disgustingly wet sounds as it moved. I had a nightmare that the bag moved into our yard and started talking to me. It slid across the ground, leaving some sort of disgusting dark liquid in its wake. The sounds, those disgustingly wet sounds as it moved. I could see it try to suck air through that awful red plastic as it spoke. There was something horribly wrong with its mouth. Day 13. I can't deal with this anymore. The bag has to go. Rachel is threatening to leave me. She can't deal with me and this obsession. I care more about the bag than I do about her, she tells me. 
She tries to tell me that there is no bag, but it's still there. I can see it just sitting in that field. If Rachel leaves, I lose everything. That can't happen. Tomorrow, I will go and take care of that bag. As I write this, out of the corner of my eye, I catch it spasming. It knows I'm coming. And it's elated. Day 14. Today is the day I will confront that awful, awful thing. For Rachel. Whatever was in that bag, I needed to know. I had to know. As I drew near, my vision spun and the color drained from everything but that fuck-mothering bag. Time slowed to a crawl, and the crunching of the dead grass under my feet bounced around my skull. My heart felt as if it might burst. The stench hit me as I knelt, a rotten, fetid smell not unlike trash that had been sitting in the sun for two weeks. There was a disgustingly sweet undertone to it, that sickly smell of spoiled, warm meat. For a split second, I thought I couldn't do it. The smell was overwhelming and obviously nauseating, yet whatever hold this object had on me fought through the sickness, lifting my hands out to grab the bag and finally uncover its horrid mystery. The plastic ripped easily enough, unleashing more of the putrid odor contained within. I vomited. It was too much. My hands never stopped ripping as my lunch splattered across my knees. The acrid smell served as a mask for the contents of the bag, blinding me to the horror I was uncovering. I ripped into it like a present, plastic flying to lay on the dry, brown grass. As my early spring Christmas gift was revealed, I vomited once more. There, Rachel was. Dead. Her knees were pulled up to her pallid chest, eyes and mouth open in a silent, terrified scream. Rot had started to set in, her eyes having burst and run down her face in an oily mess. Her skin was waxy, starting to slide from her face. Her arms faced the same deterioration and hung limply at her sides. The dried blood encrusted around her mouth and the bullet hole in her forehead had turned a festering black. How? I had just spoken to Rachel before I left, telling her I needed to do something important. She didn't respond as I left the bed, but she was definitely in the bed with me this morning. So how? How was she dead? How was she here? How long had she been here without me? I hit the ground with a thud as I fell back from the sight. The body before me, Rachel's body, began to twitch. Sockets seemed to grind and snap, relocating themselves where bloating and unnatural confinement had pulled them free. Rachel's head rolled freely on a broken neck, flopping backward while arms reached for me. Each movement had a grainy, grinding noise to it. Icy cold fingers touched my face. They were soft, though, bloated from the rotting meats underneath. I, I, I couldn't move. I, I was stuck here, 
watching as this corpse gently caressed my face. As I watched this unnatural horror unfold, I could feel its, her, fingers slipping from my face. Skin sloughed off in this loving gesture, landing with a wet plop in the vomit on my lap. Her head snapped forward, chin hitting breastbone with a disgustingly dull thud. Empty sockets peered through the bloody hair flung into her face. Her lips cracked and split into a grin over black and bloody teeth. Inches from my face, her black and tongueless mouth opened. Maggots squirmed in that darkness, fat white beacons in the void. A fly crawled as she spoke, though her lips were unmoving. Why didn't you come sooner? In today's terrifying political climate, when the rest of the world sees you as something horrific, it's important to celebrate what makes you different and to never forget that it is we, the outcasts, the monsters, that will outlast our oppressors. And the Freaks Shall Inherit the Earth is a track from the album Hipster Zombies from Mars, composed by returning contributor Nicholas Vines.
freaks, outcasts, monsters, these are all classic characters in most Halloween tales, and they're all very near and dear to our horror-loving hearts. Our final piece ends this year's Halloween spooktacular on a triumphant and tender note with a vampire and her human girlfriend. This is Blood Bank Withdrawal, written by Haley Van Hoke and starring performers Danielle Williams as Izzy, Laura Elaine as Maria, Janine Carmel as Leah, and our co-producer Shreya as Zoe. Stealing from a blood bank doesn't feel right. I mean, sick people need that blood. With my back turned to her, crouching down to get a better look at the blood bank's rusty back door with an equally rusty door handle, I rolled my eyes without fear of a snarky remark. (sighs) Babe, you are over 600 years old. You've killed thousands of people, probably. And you almost killed me the other night when you bit my neck. But you have a problem with stealing from a blood bank? It's 500, first of all. I'm not that old. And I'm sorry, try living that long and not have your morals thrown out of whack. So maybe you shouldn't be so quick to judge. Sick people might need blood, but I need to not die by the fangs of my vampire girlfriend. Now shush. We have to think of a way to get into this place. Or you can use your super strength to just, you know, break it down. I turned to look at Maria, with what I hoped was an innocent expression on my face. She didn't take the bait. I'm not kicking down that door. The less damage we do, the better. Oh, come on. It'd be so cool and kinda hot. Izzy, you know this is a terrible idea. It was like she hadn't even heard me. She only said that because it was my idea to begin with. If it had been her plan, She'd have been all smooth and Joe cool about it, instead of arguing with me and looking around like an animal of prey about to be attacked, like she was doing right then. But Maria couldn't think of a better plan, and after she told me about her... Potentially problematic vampirism. And how she needed blood ASAP, or else she'd probably accidentally kill someone, I had to come up with something, especially since... I'd probably be that accidental someone. I needed that blood just as much as some 80-year-old lady with an iron deficiency did. The late October wind rustled the branches of the bare trees and the dead leaves at our feet, a hush that brought the hairs on my arms straight up. I pulled up the hood of my sweatshirt and turned to face Maria. In the dark of the night, illuminated by the parking lot light, she could have been a ghost. With her washed-out skin and white blonde hair, it was hard not to wonder what she looked like before, hard not to wonder if the vampire who turned her had sucked all of the color out of her, too. Or maybe she just looked like that because she hadn't fed in months. I wasn't sure. I'd never dated a vampire before. It's a great idea. 
even if you disagree. And even if it wasn't, it's the only one we have. We have to steal enough blood to last you at least a few weeks. Biting her lip, Maria looked me once over in my all-black attire from my backpack to my shoes, specifically chosen for a nighttime raid. I knew I was right when I told my mom that all-black clothes would come in handy someday. And for a moment, I saw something flash in her eyes, the way lightning flashes, only darker, hungrier. The look was gone when Maria blinked. Fine, let's do this. She stepped forward. Looking at me carefully, she raised a hand to her hair and pulled out a bobby pin, then crouched down in front of the doorknob, mouth set in a line of concentration. Don't give me that look. I've had years of practice. (laughs) Yeah, those years of sneaking into people's homes and drinking their blood must have perfected your skill. I leaned against the building's stucco to watch Maria work her magic. Her long white fingers handled the little bobby pin gracefully, not fumbling for a second as she worked. I was talking about all the times the squad and I got locked out of the locker room before cheerleading practice. The involuntary twitch of her lips gave her away. And there we go. She put a hand on the knob and pushed it down, bumping the door open with her hip. She gestured inside, looking pretty pleased with herself. Come on. You first. Age before beauty, babe. Her eyes narrowed. Kidding, babe, kidding. Sort of. I walked past her into the building. Once Maria shut the door quietly behind her, I took off my backpack, zipped it open, and felt around for a flashlight. Maybe you should have gotten the flashlight out before we entered the pitch black building. I was betting on you having, like, night vision. No, no night vision. Can you at least smell the blood? Not if it's in the fridge, which it will be. God, I didn't know your vampire powers were so boring. I pulled out the flashlight and clicked it on right in front of her face. Maria swatted my hand away, squinting. Can you stop badgering me for three seconds and help me look? I aimed the flashlight in front of us, lighting up a long, narrow hallway with a few doors on the left-hand side. Towards the front, I could see the entranceway to what I assumed to be the waiting room and the donation room, where they collected the blood. The building creaked and sighed below us as we made our way down the hallway as Maria used her bobby pin on each door, first revealing a bathroom, then a janitor's closet, and then a break room. Finally, we found the right one, a little lab with desks and rolling chairs and a whole bunch of medical devices that tested the donations, or whatever goes on in a blood bank. Maria was already by the fridge, which looked more like a walk-in closet than a regular one which is what I had expected. I closed the regular door behind me and walked over to her, sliding my backpack over my shoulders and handing it to her. Here, take as much as you need and then we'll skedaddle. That's the best plan you've had all. Maria stood up, her brows furrowed, and her ears perked up, like my dog when she sees a squirrel. What? Maria put a hand up to silence me. I forgot to lock the back door. Her eyes widened in horror. Shit. Chip, Izzy! She reached out to grab my arm, but thought better of it. Get out of here, Izzy. Chip, I knew this was a bad idea. I'm not leaving you. I tugged my arm from her vice-like grip. What's going on? Vampire hunters. I can sense them. And if they come in, they'll think you're one too. Vampire hunters. Right. 
as if that wasn't the most unbelievable thing I'd ever heard, which technically it wasn't. I mean, after the vampire girlfriend thing, my disbelief had been long suspended and most likely wasn't coming down anytime soon. Yes, Izzy. Hunters. Which is why you need to leave. I opened my mouth to tell her I wasn't leaving her behind. Not like this. Not without helping her. But before I could get the words out, the lab door opened and two girls walked in. They looked a little older than us, and one was very short, with curly, fire-red hair. And one was tall, her long black hair tied up in a neat bun on her head. They were holding a crossbow and a wooden stake, respectively. But the weirdest thing about them was that I was pretty sure I knew them. And they seemed to know us, since they hadn't started attacking immediately. I looked back and forth from the girls to Maria, waiting for someone to start something. Because, shit, I might be human, but I would probably die from a wooden stake through the heart, same as any old vampire. Leah? Zoe? Maria looked from the shorter girl to the taller one. Are you serious? Both girls looked as shocked as Maria, and even I joined in with the surprise, putting the names and faces to the memories of football games, uniform skirts, and pom-poms. Cheerleaders? You're all cheerleaders? I turned the spotlight away from Maria. You are all on the squad, together. The redhead, Leah, recovered from her shocked expression first. That's right. We thought a vampire might have infiltrated the school, not two. Maria shot me a horrified glance. Izzy's not. Sorry, you guys. Zoe, to her credit, had the decency to at least look a little remorseful as her eyes passed back and forth from Maria to me, her stake held high. Zoe went after Maria as Leah lunged towards me, crossbow aloft, and I yelped and dropped to the floor as she shot, the arrow missing my head by a few inches. The crossbow clattered somewhere above my head as Leah jumped on top of me, pinning my legs down with hers. She pulled a necklace out of her jacket and held it in front of me, giving me flashbacks to my sixth grade Sunday school teacher, who was a bit of a fanatic. I'd seen enough Buffy to know that she expected it to do something, like hoof me into a handful of sand. But Leah looked bewildered, then livid as I, obviously not a pile of vampire sand, blinked at the cross stupidly. What the hell? Like I was to blame for having minimal reaction to the cross. Then she stuck the cross onto the part of my neck that was exposed, tightening her legs around mine, like she expected me to fight back against the pain. Only, you know, there wasn't any because I wasn't a vampire. Leah's legs slackened around me, giving me an opportunity to place my hands under her chest and push her off me. Unsure of what to do next, I figured climbing on top of Leah the same way she'd done to me would work well enough, so that's what I did. I caught a glimpse of Maria and Zoe fighting, if you could call it that. Every time Zoe went in for an attack, Maria defended herself knowing every move Zoe was going to make. It looked as if Maria had been doing this for, well, hundreds of years. Her eye teeth had expanded into fangs I'd only seen once before, when Maria had accidentally bitten my neck instead of kissing it. Their appearance betrayed her irritation. Where Maria's fighting was smoother, Zoe's was a little choppier. 
Her moves looked a little mechanical, and I even saw the wheels in her head turning before she made a move. But then, Zoe managed to kick Maria in the stomach, catching her and me off guard. Oof. Leah took advantage of this and wriggled from my grip, flipping me over, leaning over me with a manic look in her eye. You should have mentioned you weren't a vampire. Leah's hair fell around me like a curtain, so that if I moved my head, I couldn't see Maria and Zoe, only hear as someone got knocked into one of the rolling chairs. Yeah, but where's the fun in that? My stomach tightened as I heard the sound of a body hitting the floor in various groans of pain. I looked into Leah's eyes and prayed it wasn't Maria down for the count. Though, I didn't want to think of her kicking her squad mate over and over either. Maybe it wasn't her thing normally, but provoked? She might lose control of herself. I wasn't sure. That's okay. Now at least I know that this will be effective. Before I could find out what this was, I reached up, grabbed a chunk of Leah's hair in each hand, and pulled. I wasn't sure what I had been thinking. Maybe all of the times my mom made me go to those anti-kidnapping classes my middle school offered? But the hair pulling seemed to work, since Leah shrieked and jumped off and away from me, clutching her scalp. With Leah distracted, I crawled over to the nearest rolling chair and tried to pull myself up. Only, the chair kept rolling everywhere, so it took a couple of tries. And just as I'd gotten up, something tugged at my leg, nearly bringing me back down. Of course it was Leah, who was bleeding slightly from her scalp, which was scary enough. And she had her hands clutched around my leg like she was a rabid dog. I didn't want to kick her in the head, but I also didn't have much choice, so that's what I did. Twice. And she let go, and the rolling chair rolled, and I went down again, hitting my chin as I went. Leah, to my relief, was unconscious, or at least looked it. That and her nose was broken and bleeding. But I didn't have the time or concern to administer first aid, so I scrambled over to the chair again, which was against the wall now, underneath a you're always someone's type poster with two little clip art bags of blood holding hands. I would have thought it was cute if I didn't have more important things to worry about, like my maybe dying girlfriend on the other side of the room. From where I stood, I saw Maria on the floor in the fetal position, hands over her chest. Zoe loomed over her, stake at the ready, either not noticing Leah's defeat or not caring. I had one chance to save my girlfriend. I, a human teenage girl, had to save my hundreds of years old vampire girlfriend from a vampire hunter. So I did what I considered to be the only logical course of action at the time. I set my shoulders back and prepared to walk over there without a thought as to what I was going to do. Because as you can imagine, no one can really prepare to be a vampire hunter hunter. And wouldn't you know it, as I took my third step, I nearly slipped and fell again. Thinking it was Leah trying to attack me, I picked up my foot and pulled it away. But it was only her bow, wooden and heavy. I picked it up with both hands and kept walking, holding the bow like you hold a softball bat. Hey Zoe, you might want to stop right there before you make a big mistake. It was a bad pun, seeing as I was holding a bow. 
and then I swung like our high school softball team depended on it, which it would have. Our softball team was pretty bad. So we crumpled to the ground just as Leah had. Feeling only a bit guilty, I stepped over her and crouched down next to Maria. I pushed her hair out of her face and saw her eyes shut tightly, preparing for the worst. I reached out and shook her. Maria? It's me, it's okay. Maria's eyes opened and took me in. Faster than was probably natural, she uncurled herself, sat straight up, and yanked me down on the floor next to her. Babe? She touched my face in places I assumed bruises were beginning to bloom. Baby, are you okay? Are you hurt? With her touching my face, I was only vaguely aware of the pain, except for my back that was killing me, and my chin. That head started to throb a bit. I'm fine. You're the one who almost died. She began to protest, but stopped short as her gaze fixed on something behind me. Holy shit, did you do that? I turned to see, you know, Zoe and Leah on the ground unconscious, and the rest of the lab in complete disarray. I scanned the room a few times and kept finding something new. A desk overturned, desk drawers pulled out of a desk, papers and files everywhere. At least the blood clip art poster was still intact. It hadn't even fallen off the wall. Oh yeah, I mean, I think they did most of the property damage, but Zoe and Leah, that's all me. They're not dead. At least, I hope they aren't. They're not. Her ears perked up again, and I pushed her a little. Then we gotta grab the blood and go before they wake up. She looked to the fridge, like she'd forgotten that was why we were there in the first place. Oh my god, I will donate blood every month for the next year, okay? Does that make you feel better? It does, but I'm not taking any typo. You do that. Maria rushed to the overturned desk, scooped up my backpack, which had found its way behind it during the fight, and filled up the backpack in less than 30 seconds. The refrigerator air didn't even have time to fill the room. That's how quick she moved. You good? She shut the fridge door and swung the filled backpack over her shoulder. I will be. Maria walked over and held out her perfectly polished hand to me. I took it without saying anything, and we walked back out into the October night, leaving our mess behind us. Walking out of the 7-Eleven, I held up my Slurpee and painkillers like trophies for Maria, who was sitting in the passenger seat of my car, feet up on the dashboard, sucking blood out of a pouch through a straw like a Capri Sun. Still hungry? I slipped into the driver's seat, grinning as Maria slurped away. Obviously. You know, I read somewhere that a pint of donated blood can save up to three lives. Four including me. I know how irresistible I am to the vampire ladies. Shut up. But she still leaned in to let me kiss her.
This Halloween special, our lucky episode 13, marks the end of our first year at Monsters and the beginning of a new cycle of terrifying tales. For the listeners who have stayed with us this far, thank you so much for your support. This project truly does mean a lot to us. And for new listeners, welcome to the Monster Mob. We have some amazing and horrifying work already lined up for you. Thank you to Tyler Thatcher, Ross Crean, Lucian Clark, Nicholas Vines, and Haley Van Hoke for your submissions. And thanks to Penn Tynan, Lucille Valentine, Danielle Williams, Laura Elaine, and Janine Carmel for your performances. The songs featured in this episode were Trees Reflected in the Water by Shadows on the Snow, Moon Saturday by The Owl, The Ruins Part 2 by I Am Esper, Haunted by Screams by Mew, Here by Blear Moon, and Whispers of Sorrow by Blue Dark. Additional sounds and music were provided by Eric Matias, Super Freaky, Sercoto 51, Roxy Room, Scram Punk, and Eleven Linda. For links to purchase or listen to the music featured in our episode, and to learn more about our pieces, artists, and readers, please visit our website, monstersoutofthecloset.com. Our next episode, Familiar, will be released on November 27th. In the meantime, we're looking for submissions to feature in upcoming episodes like Alien, Fairy Tale, Gothic, and beyond. You can learn more about themes, submission details, and voice acting opportunities on our website submit page. You can also stay up to date with podcast news at monstersoutofthecloset.tumblr.com and at pod underscore monsters on Twitter. Special thanks go to our supporting producers Tara Rungan, Lindsay Holt, Sarah Lopez, and Lourdes Kaland. And a very big thanks to all of our patrons who make us able to compensate our artists for months to come. Joining us on Patreon at even the $2 per month level will get you access to things like our exclusive producer's commentary on each episode. Plus, in honor of our first birthday, we are giving all new or upgrading patrons in the month of November our first sticker for free. Monsters Out of the Closet is a 100% nonprofit endeavor. So all incoming funds go directly back to our community of LGBTQ artists and contributors. As we move into our second year, we are even more committed to supporting our community in any way we can, and you can help us. Please consider pledging your support to our show on Patreon, or if that's not feasible for you, we absolutely understand. We'd still love it if you could encourage any of your friends who can support, even at a few dollars a month, to become a member of the Monster Mob on Patreon. Any amount really means a lot to us. Again, thank you so much for listening, whether you're a longtime listener or fresh blood. We wish you all equally a very happy Halloween. Monsters out. <laughs>